Hey, Redboard Rewind listeners, Peter Thomas Fornital here to ask a favor of you. We are working in partnership with our friends at America's Best Racing to promote these Fan Choice Awards. And it just so happens that Redboard Rewind sister podcast, the In the Money Players podcast, is up for an award in the sound category. JK also up for Best Analyst. We encourage you to go over to americasbestracing.net and fill out a Fan Choice Awards ballot And it's not for nothing. You, just by filling out a ballot, are entered to win a VIP trip to the Breeders' Cup plus a $10,000 wager. Voting closes extremely soon, November 20th. So get over there today before you even listen to the rest of this podcast, if you can. AmericasBestRacing.net. Go ahead and vote for JK. Vote for our show if you want. Vote for your favorites. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Redboard Rewind. Embarrassing moment of truth here. Spencer had recorded a nice little intro to today's show to go before the music as he does, and I somehow ended up deleting it. No worries. I'm just going to do it for him. On today's episode of Red Board Rewind, Spencer will be joined by special guest Anthony Stabile, the big A, and they will be talking about three races from Aqueduct on Saturday, one that has an angle for late season two-year-olds, Another about making difficult decisions in races with camera-shy runners. And we'll also get to see if we can finally find a spot where it's the right thing to try to beat Chad Brown. After the theme, you're going to hear Spencer in his rightful place. Sorry about this, Spencer. It's the same old And now I'd like to introduce my special guest, Anthony Stabile, the Big A. Big A, how are you doing today? What's happening, Spencer? Everything good? Everything is rocking and rolling. A little under the weather, but we're going to fight through it. Yeah, you got to play through some pain sometimes in this industry. Uh, you got to, uh, there's plenty of days you got to show up a little under the weather. You know, but like I said, play through the pain, my man. It's uh, no guts, no glory. Absolutely, 100%. Just a few questions for people who might not know exactly who you are. Uh, how did you uh, get your start up in racing? My parents met at Aqueduct about uh, 44 years ago. So I was uh, I was born into the game. I'm a lifer. Um, just was around the track my entire life. My dad was a trainer. Always went as a fan when I was a kid. And when I got out of St. John's in 98, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be at the racetrack. I actually knew a lot, uh, a lot sooner than that. Back when, uh, when Easy Goer lost for the third time to Sunday Silence in the '89 Breeders' Cup Classic 30 years ago, I remember being at the Meadowlands and just being very frustrated with the ride from Pat Day. And my mom and my dad encouraged me to, you know, find an outlet. And, and back then, there was no such thing as talking horses and podcasts and the horse racing radio network. So. I always had a little bit of a knack for riding. My mom encouraged me to go into that, and she helped me along with that and taught me how to handicap uh, mostly. I was on my way, but my mom and dad helped me more so my mom. She's one of the best handicappers I know. And, uh, yeah, I you know wanted to be a journalist and wanted to uh, go forward with that. Went to St. John's and 
when I got out of there, I was lucky enough. A year to the day I graduated St. John's, I started writing for the New York Post. And I was there for over five years, and now we're here. Are there many differences between working for the Post and working for Naira on Talking Horses, other than just being written compared to you know being on a show? I think the beauty of it all is, especially when you're handicapping, the newspaper business can be a tough one. And I get back into the newspaper business at Saratoga the last couple of years. I have been uh, cohorts with Tim Wilkin, one of the best in the biz. I do handicapping for them, and we have a bankroll beatdown, kind of like a battle of Saratoga, like they used to have in, in the old Daily News. Absolutely. And the deadline is what's the biggest difference. You know, if if I'm handicapping for the Times Union, sometimes we have to have our picks in by 4 or 5 o'clock the day before. Mm-hmm. A lot can change, especially in a place like Saratoga. But anyway, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, Talking Horses this Wednesday, we're going to get some rain in the Big Apple the next, I don't know, 36 hours, 24 hours. And maybe, you know, the weather forecasters aren't as good as uh, they'd like to think they are. And we get an inch of rain as opposed to the quarter of an inch of rain we're forecasted to get. Well, I can start, you know, because I've already started the Wednesday work. I can make my uh, nips and tucks if I have to, whereas the newspaper, you're kind of married to those picks, sometimes 24 hours in advance. If, uh, you know, if things change on the fly, doing a TV show, obviously you can change. Uh, you know, we've, with Andy and I have been on the air when they've literally taken the races off the turf while we're doing the show. So uh, it would be hard to go back, and especially when I was covering horse racing for, for print 20 years ago at the Post, um, you know, when they were selling a million papers a day, you're, you're kind of committed to that. Now it's a little different on the TV. I 100% get that. One last question before we get started with these races. Do you ever set any goals for each meet or for the year with your picks, like a certain percentage or a certain ROI? I think if you start tying yourself, you know, it's funny, this game is dictated by numbers, but I, uh, Andy and I argue about this a lot. I don't always let the numbers dictate things. I, this is a game where you have to continue to learn. Everybody wants to make money, right? You'd be a fool if you didn't want to make money. Everybody wants to make money. But I think more importantly, you have to learn. And one of the things I've been able to do the last couple of years especially has been to change my outlook on a few things. I, I don't love change. So I've been kind of, you know, I, I, I get cemented into things at times. And I think I've kind of broken away from that the last couple of years. Uh, and it has helped my bottom line. So I, I think keep learning. You always want to keep learning. You want to always keep an open mind. And, of course, you want to, you know, you want to make money. The goal is always to make money. If you're not learning, you are falling behind for sure. What do you say we get started on these races? Yeah, let's do it. We had a good weekend here. You know, racing at Aqueduct has been tremendous. Some of these cards, uh, and I took a week off, did some catching up, watching the replays and stuff, but some of these cards, I mean, all kidding aside, you know, not to be a company guy, but I would put a couple of these cards, a few of these cards, up against more than half the cards we had at Saratoga this summer. I mean, the racing's been great. The turf racing especially, you know, with all of the courses in the Mid-Atlantic closing down now because of all that rain they had, especially down at Laurel, mm-hmm. we're getting a lot of shippers to come up. And it not only makes the racing competitive, 
but it gives you a fuller field, and, it, you know, it, there's a chance to find some prices, which always helps the cause. So the racing here has been fantastic, and then this weekend I think we had a lot of good performances and a lot of good racing this past weekend. I think I've had to argue plenty of times, especially the last few weeks, Aqueduct is for sure one of the best tracks running right now. I think you can argue with it. it's the best track running right now. I mean, I, I, would, I would put our product right now up against any product in the country. I 100% agree. Race six from this past Saturday at Aqueduct was a one-mile maiden special weight on the inner turf. Where was your opinion going into this race, Big A? I had a tough time when I was handicapping this race. Since I, and I defaulted. I don't believe one of the things I don't do is I don't deal in absolutes. Uh, there is nothing in this game, and this goes along the lines of continuing to learn. There is nothing in this game. That is absolute. But I do have some rules of thumb, if you will. I have a couple of crutches. Second time, Linda Rice is a big one for me. And when I, when I cracked open my form and I looked at these PPs, I had a tough time with this race. So I defaulted to one of my crutches, Chad Brown Firsters. I actually put the two Chad Brown Firsters, one, two, in here, the three French Reef, who's owned by my good friend Louis Lazanaro in partnership, and the four Rockies. They were my two picks. But I really didn't know where to go. I thought uh, a couple of other horses had some chances. North Dakota shipping up from Colonial and Churchill for Hall of Famer Suge McGahee. I took a look at Brahe for Barclay Tag, who had run for a tag a couple of times in the special areas. That's not something I ordinarily do. But this was one of those races where I thought there was a chance uh, you know, while I took the two firsts on top, I did think there was a chance for chaos. It was a spread race for me in my multis. It was made a little more confusing by the fact that Tiberius Mercurius, who was the two-to-one morning line favorite, but he was on the also eligible list, he drew in. I thought that the mile distance was maybe a little too short for him, um, which, uh, again, threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into the race as well. I think for me, especially with working on the bet squad through Saratoga, everyone was always saying it's just Chad Brown's world. We're living in it. French Reef and Rockies for me were definitely two contenders. For me, it's always been interesting when there's two in a race. I kind of look at the jockeys. I know it's not the best crutch to lean on, but I've always thought that Javier was always riding first for Chad. So I ended up giving French Reef the uh, small lead. The horse I ended up going on top was the number seven blameless for Michael Matz, ridden by who I think is one of the best jockeys in the world right now, Joel Rosario. When you see that last race, 71 buyer, first time out, the finish doesn't look good. The buyer with a little bit more improvement, and you always get that jump, second time turf, you can always see that extra jump of improvement. I thought at 10 to 1, this horse could definitely blow up the board. And Michael Matz is very good off these 180-day layoffs. Yeah, I used this horse as well. In fact, he was my third selection. I figured if a horse, other than one of the two, if the two Chad Firsters couldn't run, I want to take a little shot at him uh, with him. Now, he was coming off that long layoff, right? It was almost eight months. But you were going to get a price in a race with two Chad Brown Firsters, a couple of Danny Gargan horses, namely Donegal Aces, who ran well on the turf first time last time out. Uh, you know, and then, again, Tiberius Mercurius draws into the race, you got to figure that blameless, and I agree with you 100%. Joel's my favorite rider uh, out there right now. I feel, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of confidence with the, with the Ortiz brothers, namely Arad and Manny Franco, but I feel like when I'm betting on Joel, I'm getting my money in the middle uh, in the best possible way. He was the runner, I thought, would win this race, but he had a couple of things to overcome, and namely uh, the big one being that, that, that long layoff.
Is it frustrating to you? Because I know sometimes it is for me when the also eligibles end up be, being in the race, but they're also pretty big contenders being a favorite. For me, sometimes when I'm at Saratoga, especially, there's so many races every day I'm trying to get through that a lot of the times I'll just wait for the scratches to see if the also eligibles can make it into the race. So as soon as I had seen this horse had made it, I had to go back in and pretty much re-handicap the whole race. Yeah, I don't have that luxury. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you got to kind of, you know, it's 12 becomes 16, so be it. This is the life we chose. We're not laying bricks for a living, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we're not really doing that hard of work. We're, we're working more with our minds and doing something we absolutely positively love. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I handicapped the race with him. Like I said, I didn't think he was that big of a factor going in because – I didn't think the mile was long enough for him. I thought he was a horse that uh, needed a little bit more ground, by, you know, evident uh, of that mile and 316th effort behind value engineering up at Saratoga. He ran well at the mile and an eighth last time out uh, over at Belmont Park. So, yeah, I mean, on the whole, you got to look at those AEs because they can draw in, especially, like I said, we have a lot of horses shipping in now. From, especially for the turf races from the Mid-Atlantic. And the other thing that's happening, kind of piggybacking that is, these guys and gals are shipping these horses up for the turf races, and if there's a dirt race, they're just throwing one on the van as well. So, you know, when you when you got horses coming from 200 miles away, and there's three or four of them in the race, a lot can happen in getting the horses up here from the different spots from the Mid-Atlantic. So, yeah, I think now more than ever, you got to go through those AEs as well. I think the biggest knock for me on him was if you have a DRF formulator PPs, they show the uh, time form pace ratings and he had red fractions was a deep closer in that last race. So I really downgraded that last third place finish a little bit, which put him in line with a lot more of the other horses in here. Where did you end up doing wagering wise in this race? I didn't play. Uh, I didn't play the race vertically. I played it horizontally. Uh, Ten race card, sixth race, made a pick five ticket. Um, I went, I want, I want to say I pared it down. I went three deep. I used the two Chad Firsters, and I used Blameless, and I, I went three deep. I don't remember how much I invested into the ticket. It may have been a seventy-two dollar ticket, if I'm not mistaken. I went three deep, and the reason I went three deep was, I think you could have made a case for like seven or eight of them, right? Michael Cook, talking horses partner, Andy Serlin, he liked Dylan Rocks, who ran, you know, uh, Dylan Rocks had certainly had a, a license to improve second time Dave Donk. Like I said, I liked Brahe a little bit. Uh, you could have made a case first time uh, turf for tough times with Hennig. Uh, Donald Aces ran well on the turf. Uh, North Dakota ran well, you know. There, so there were some horses, and, you know, if you're going to use a big spread, uh, you don't want to be kicking yourself if Tiberius Mercurius gets the money. So, to me, it was I'm going to use an all button, or I'm going to use the two or three horses I felt comfortable with, and that's what I wound up doing. I used the two Chad Browns, and I used Shameless. I ended up just playing Blameless, wouldn't play show across the board. I ended up playing him underneath the two Chad Firsters as well. Let's see if I end up hitting my exacto, or if Big A hit the first leg of this pick five right now. And they're off. It's blameless, and from the outside, Tiberius Mercurius. French Reef is up close and is moving up on the inside. And there goes French Reef now to take over the lead. French Reef in front going into the clubhouse turn. 
with a blameless running in second. Dylan Rocks is down on the inside in third. They continue around the turn, head for the back stretch, and it is a headstrong French Reef who leads here by two lengths. Dylan Rocks is in second, and Blameless is next in third. Tiberius Mercurius has made his way over to the inside and is on the inside of starting point. Those two heads apart, fourth and fifth. Brahe is next in sixth, followed by Donegal Ace is in seventh. Then it's Rakiz in eighth. Then Tough Times, and the trailer is North Dakota. The quarter went in 47-2. and two. It's French Reef out there and in front by three. Dylan Rocks races in second. Tiberius Mercurius is in third as they go around the turn. It's still French Reef, the one to catch. French Reef, the lead is three quarters of a length as Dylan Rocks moves up on the outside. Then it's Tiberius Mercurius, starting point and blameless. Brahe down at the rail. The field is in the stretch. Three quarters went in one, 12 and four. It's French Reef. Trying to hold on to the lead, but Tiberius Mercurius is gaining on the outside. And starting point is kicking in late here. Down on the inside, French Reef. Tiberius Mercurius. Tiberius Mercurius takes the lead and wins it. Starting point completes the exacta. It's a photo for third. So for all you fans of Tiberius Mercurius who thought you had the winner there, unfortunately, the stewards thought differently. He gets DQ'd to second, which puts up... The first time turfer starting point for Danny Gargan, paying twenty one eighty. Big A, what were your thoughts on this DQ? Yeah, I thought it was a, a bit of a no brainer. There are three different types of infractions. The way it's been going um, in the game now, and it's been this way always. But I, I do really feel like they've they've broken it down, and there are there are decided rules for all three. There's the herding, and the herding is when one horse drifts another horse out. Uh, whether it's one path or 11 paths, and there's no contact made. They kind of let that go around here. And the way it was explained to me by a couple of the retired stewards was that if the jock on the outside horse takes the bump, they're going to look at it a little more carefully, So, which leads us to scenario number two, which is contact. When there's contact, like there was contact in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and I know it was a little controversial, but I was a big believer that Vino Rosso had to come down. I thought it was a very easy decision. There was contact made on a couple of occasions that was initiated by him. A couple of more brushing incidents. To me, that was a no-brainer. As it was explained to me, whether I agree with the rules or not is a different story. But as it was explained to me, that was a no-brainer. This was the third scenario. It's one we don't see as often as we used to, and I think that's just coincidence. Starting point's path was taken away by Tiberius Mercurius. I don't believe there was contact. I do believe that, st- that Tiberius Mercurius drifted into starting point's past- path. It forced Kendrick Carmuchabort's starting point to alter his course. I think starting point would have gotten past Tiberius Mercurius. I don't know this for a fact. I'm going to assume that between taking his path away and the fact that he kept coming at him, that is what necessitated the DQ. I thought this horse was coming down immediately. I had a friend of mine. I watched this race in the film room at Aqueduct, and a friend of mine had bet a starting point to win in place who was sitting right behind me. And he's like, oh, he's second at 9-1. to one. I said, you're going to go up here. And what are you talking about? I said, you're going to go up here. This, he, he, he bothered this horse. 
in some way he bothered this was. I don't know if there's contact, but he certainly came out, and sure enough, he took his entire path away. So to me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, I was surprised it took as long as it did to come down, but I get it. To an extent, I get it, because there was not contact made. And if it's a length and a half or so, the old uh, unofficial rule is if it's a length and a half, they leave him up. It wasn't a length and a half. They made the DQ, and I think it was the right call. I was surprised with the DQ. I think more for me, just because I'm not as big a race watcher yet, like going back and looking through the replays, I was waiting for the contact, didn't see any, so I thought maybe they would keep him up, but when I saw it, it took so long. As we all know, the longer it takes, the more it's going to be the DQ. What were your thoughts on the winner, number 10, starting point, now that you had to go back in the PPs and look back? Yeah, as always, Danny Gargan does a really good job. I mean a really good job first time off the claim. And I don't have the breakdowns in front of me, mm-hmm. uh, but I know, I know just overall he's close to 40% the last couple of years. That's a huge number. Now, he's taken a loss from a Hall of Famer in Bill Mott. Bill's one of those guys, though, that as high profile as he is, you know when you claim a horse from Bill, they have been well taken care of, um, and they're coming to you in good order. So... I don't want to say it's easy to improve off Bill Mott, but at the very least, for the most part, you're getting a horse that has been well taken care of and is in good shape. Um, he just didn't fit the profile of the barn. You know, Danny put the source on the turf. Source had a little turf pedigree by Painter out of a Dynaform mare. Certainly had the pedigree to stretch out. Uh, I found it curious that the source had only sprinted, had never went long. Um, he was kind of a hard find for me. Like I said, I think he could have made a case for seven or eight of them in here. I would have had a hard time finding this horse without the all button, um, especially the way the race played out, right? You would think, well, he's coming out of the sprints, he's going to go right to the lead. That wasn't the case in here. None of it made, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of how this race played out didn't make a lot of sense, especially when it came to the eventual winner. Um, French Reef had the reputation of Lee being a little bit of a runoff, and he kind of was under Javier Castellano going into that first turn. He was a little unsettled. He did make the lead. He was a little unsettled. He ran really well, I thought. Uh, this horse was uh, gelded earlier this summer, just trying to settle him down. But again, when you go back and you look at these races, and I think it's very, very important, especially if you're just starting out, go keep your racing form. Go back in this, in this digital age. It's easy because you can just go back and, and download it. Um, it's, it's important to go back and try to find not only how you missed the winner, but maybe there was a reason French Reef and Rakeez were debuting in November of their three-year-old year. Um, so you, you go back and you look at stuff like that. I was a little disappointed in Shameless coming out of this race. He really, uh, in Blameless, rather. He really didn't fire. Uh, the horse I would want out of this race is North Dakota. I think once he got off the inside, he made up some ground for Shug. Uh, he would be the one I'd keep an eye on, maybe down in South Florida next time out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, starting point was good in his turf debut, and we'll see what happens from there. I think you make a really good point on the two, Chad, versus that they're starting later in the year. Maybe French Reef running off probably ended up keeping him in the barn where Chad was just trying to find a spot for him. The hard part for me with starting point is – Usually you want to find maiden special weights dropping into maiden claiming, not the reverse angle. And also, I've always thought of Kendrick Carnouche as more of the dirt jockey. And I'm maybe even, like, he's kind of with Manny with me on that as the two of the more aggressive dirt riders. And then I look at guys like Junior as being the turf jockeys, Joel, those kind of guys to kind of get some 
horses home. Blameless, I thought, ran okay. He improved his buyer again up to a 77. The winner ran a 78. So he was just a little bit behind that. I look forward to this horse coming back second off the layoff. Maybe we get a little bit more improvement. And this horse can, you know, be a decent price because he kind of finished in that middle area where those horses aren't going to take a ton of money. And they're also, you know, they have a chance to lift up to, you know, seven, eight to one and be a good price. Yeah, the problem is when he comes back, he'll, it'll be, it'll most likely be in South Florida. And you would imagine he's going to face a tougher bunch than the bunch he faced on Saturday. Absolutely. Anything else for this big A? You're ready to jump into the seventh well, race. I think that was it. I, North Dakota would be the one I would keep an eye on next time out. Race seven at Aqueduct, six and a half furlongs. It's a state bred Philly allowance going six and a half on the main. Where'd you end up in this race, big A? I really thought it was a two horse race, and I only used two on my pick five ticket. Uh, came back and made a pick four. Mary's Girl who I had second in Collegeville Girl. They ran 1-2. Collegeville Girl beat Nary's Girl last time out in the starter 50. Um, and I just thought that there was going to be a similar scenario in here for Collegeville Girl. You know, she had a really good ride from Angel Castillo last time out. Angel didn't take the trip up for Richard Vega. Kendrick Carmouche climbed the board. Kendrick was aboard when this Philly broker made it at Saratoga last summer, summer of 2018. Uh, so I wasn't too worried about that. And I used Mary's girl, you know, hard knocking Philly, always knocking on the door, doesn't have a lot of obviously just one for 15 in her career. So a little camera shy. Uh, but the wind did come at Aqueduct, uh, her only board placing in four starts and she's really just seems to have gotten better this summer for trainer rick schossberg who's had quietly had a really good year even though he's only has he's only had five wins uh going into the weekend his horses had all run well and uh you know this philly always seemed to get a piece of the pie so she was one and the philly that beat her was the other one collegeville girl last time out they, they were the two i used it's very interesting for me, Collegeville Girl, if you look at like what she had done, she had broken her maiden as a two-year-old, then came back, ran not that well in this type of race in July at Saratoga, ran very well at Parks to win by five alibit slow fractions on the lead. They thought that race was good enough to try the Cotillion, kind of blew up in their face, and then they ended up winning a nice little starter for a starter allowance 50000 at Belmont coming back into it based off of the, her race at Parks. So it was kind of like they were being shrewd within, the, within the, uh, the condition book and ending up to get that second win. I thought this horse was kind of a play against. Mary's girl ended up being the horse for me, but it was just so hard when you look at 15 starts and nine underneath placings. It's The price has definitely got to be right. And when this horse didn't really take a step on the odds board, I didn't really know what to think about it. What do you think about horses that just kind of stay – way at the morning line. I, I felt she was cold. The problem, Spencer, with her is you look at it and she's one for 15. And, you know, everybody sees this. We're not the only people that are, that are, uh, that have the luxury of seeing this. She's, she doesn't win. And when you see a Philly like Collegeville girl who beat her pretty, you know, it was only a length, but it was more than, she beat her pretty easily last time. And when you look at Collegeville girls, PPs, and you say, well, she's three for six, but two of the times she got beat were off. Light. One, one was off the layoff. One was in the cotillion. 
uh, you know, the key sent stakes, and the, which they would run later on in the card, which we'll talk about next, and the Cotillion. They're, forgive, they're races are easily to forgive. Uh, the race from the November to July layoff was easy to forgive. The three, the three of the four times she's been in, in reasonable spots, she's won, and she's won pretty easily. So when you look at the tote board and you see one filly has, is three for six, and she beat the other main contender, you're supposed to get three to one, seven or two on Mary's girl. That's what she's supposed to be. Again, I don't like to. I don't. There's no broad stroke for me. There's no. I try not to 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 deal with any absolute. So I don't worry when they're not around their morning line, especially in New York, because I would put David Aragona's morning line odds making skills up against anyone's. We've been spoiled here. Our last two morning line odds makers in New York were Eric Donovan and David Aragona, and they're two of the best that have ever done it, in my opinion. And I've been around, you know, I'm 42 years old, but I'm the rare kid that, when I, you know, I was as sharp as a tack when I was 10. So I can tell when I say I've been around 30 years, I mean it. I've been paying attention to know what's going on for 30 years. They're two of the best that ever did it. So, you know, he, he, he David nails a lot of morning lines. So I would not worry – too much about that, especially on this circuit, uh, because I think more often than not, he's right. And in this instance, he was right. She is a very hard horse to take. And listen, I'm a big fan. I picked her two, I, I believe I picked her in her last two starts. I may have even picked her three starts back. I, quite frankly, I had enough. And I, I went to Collegeville Girl. For me, for as far as wagering goes, I couldn't make a wager. I was like, I, I was at the OTB at the window. I'm like, Do, can I bet this horse at three to one? And I ended up just backing out right at the last second. I know you said you used those as your two for your uh, horizontals. Did you use anything vertically or any wind bets or no, anything like that? Just, just, I just played uh, Collegeville Girl was too short to play to win. Uh, I didn't want to play an exact box for the, because they were the two favorites. Um, and, I, and, I, and I just used the two of them in the pick four. Let's see if Big A can survive the slug of the pick four right now. And they're off. A slow beginning for number five, a nasty affair, and she's at the back. Overtime, Olivia going out for the lead. She's a super freak, is down at the rail. My last million in between horses. Mary's girl is up close in fourth. Collegeville girl alongside in fifth. Then it's Whale and Josie next in sixth. Then comes Quietude, who's running in seventh. Followed by Fight on Lucy in eighth. It's almost three lengths to uh, Carlisle Bell. And another five back to Nasty Affair, who trails the field in tenth. The quarter went in 23 and three-fifth seconds. And it's long shot overtime Olivia, leading here by three-quarters of a length. Collegeville Girl, the favorite, is in second. And then comes Mary's Girl in third. On the outside is Whalen Josie next in fourth. It's three lengths. Back to my last million. The field is coming for the quarter pole. The half was run in 48 seconds. It's Mary's girl up on the outside of overtime. Olivia, overtime Olivia at the rail. Mary's girl on the outside. Mary's girl now takes the lead. Overtime Olivia is back running in second. Then it's fight on Lucy. Carlisle Bell on the outside. Mary's girl in front as they come on down for the finish. Mary's girl by three and a half lengths. Carlisle Bell was second. It's a photo for third between fight on Lucy and overtime Olivia. Interesting for me, tail between my leg moment with Mary's girl winning by a long three lengths. She ended up paying 
9.30. The 10, Carlisle Bell, a horse we didn't talk about, ended up paying 18.80 for second. What was your assessment of the winner here, Big A? Mary's girl, was a little bit of a breakthrough performance for her because she had that bridesmaid, you know. These horses, Spencer, like I said, and at 7 to 2, that's, she, you, I understand being on the fence. I don't think you need to have the tail between your legs. It's hard to take 7 to 2 on a horse that's 1 for 15 and has 9 seconds and thirds combined in the career. Um, it's just it's hard to take that price on these horses to win. With that said, she ran really well in here. Um, you know, the one thing I've noticed, especially in her last two starts, and my friends, Laura and Carmela Samili, uh, own a piece of her through Clear Star Stable. Uh, so I, I'm always rooting for Mary's Girl, and she has a fantastic backstory. Um, she's shown a little more, she's had a little more tactical speed in her last three starts. You know, she used to be kind of an out-the-back type, make the one run. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a little deceiving because when you, and, and if you have the long PPs, you look down at her maiden win and she's alternating on the lead. They also went five and a half furlongs. Uh, they went 24, 48, and three. So she's got a horse that has an abundance of early speed. But they have kept her closer as of late. And she seems to have thrived since this has happened. Saturday was, was no different. She was a little bit closer. She pounced early. And she finished up in this effort on Saturday. This was a nice effort. I think they'll have some fun with this New York Brit Philly this winter. You know, still uh, still got that starter they can win. Uh, they'll have the two other end allowance for the New York Reds. I think this Philly's getting good at the right time. You know, three-year-old year, uh, she's shown gradual improvement throughout this year. If you look at her racing form and you look at her buyers, they have, they have slowly but surely they've increased. Uh, and save that 74 in the slop where she really seemed to jump up that day behind a nice Philly and more mischief. Her fast track numbers have been just, you know, gradually improving. I don't know what buyer she got on Saturday, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was better than if she was in the low 70s. She's getting good. I think they're going to have a really nice winter with this Philly. The buyer was actually a 69, so she was kind of keeping pace with those other races okay. she's run at the level. Uh, Collegeville girl didn't seem to just fire, just seemed like a misstep. Any thoughts? Well, now you start to wonder when you look at her PPs, is she an in-out kind of horse? And I don't think you were able to do that going into this race. And again, this is why it is so important to go back and look. And I, I don't think you were able to do that going in because, again, she breaks her maiden. She doesn't run for four months. When they run her back, she runs in a, in a New York Red Stakes race. And she wound up running against a couple of Phillies and Sassy Agnes and Espresso Shot, who went on to win a bunch of New York Red Stakes. Yeah. Uh, Espresso Shot won the Busher against Open Company. So, you know, all right, she didn't belong in there. Now we don't see her from November until July. You're looking at a nine-month layoff. All right, well, she needed one off the break. She doesn't run well. Goes to Parks, she gallops. They run her back in the Cotillion, she gets beat a pole. They run her back in a starter 50, she wins. Is it an in-out pattern? Is it the fact that those out races, if you will, were under special circumstances, an eight-month layoff, the cotillion? Now maybe you can, you can say, well, this filly's an in-out horse. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be using her as long as she runs in a, in, a, in a reasonable spot next time. I'm going to use Collegeville Girl, sight unseen, 
as long as she's in an A of an N or, or, you know, in a spot that's reasonable, I'm going to use her because now I'm starting to think maybe she is an in-and-out horse and I want to have her next time when it's an in-day. I love that you use the in-and-out. I've been talking about that all the time on this show. When me and J.K. had our, I think it was episode two, he's not really one for the in-and-out form cycle. I, for one, do think that is something. It just seemed like these two were the only two. Obviously, the number 10, Carlisle Bell. I thought maybe the last time, if you go back in the PPs, that she turned back, or second time she did, she ended up galloping with a seven, or one by a neck with a 72, but that was also in the slop. It's the only two races she's won. Has she finally turned the corner on a dry track, or was this race just weaker than we might be thinking? Yeah, you know, you t- I didn't know the buyer, so when it runs a 69, she gets to be three and a half lengths, so she runs a lot of 62, kind mm-hmm. of in line with what she's done uh, on a fast track in her career. Yeah, you know, but again, uh, the winter's coming, and uh, even though Game of Thrones is gone, winter is coming, and this is the kind of filly that uh, with the state-bred conditions still under her belt, and you know, you can you can churn an awful lot of money. I mean, you look at this purse, and this pot's 66000 New new rules here, fifty five, twenty percent. That's twelve thousand, almost thirteen. It's thirteen thousand dollars to run second in this race. I mean, uh, that wouldn't be the worst case scenario. She gets a couple of seconds and thirds this winter, and, and pretty much pays for herself for the year. You can do that over the winter. So, I, I don't know if she's a horse I'm rushing to my Naira Bets account to bet next time, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're certainly a horse that you have to keep an eye on. Totally agree. Ready to jump into race eight? The key sense. Yeah, the, state, the the lone stakes on the Saturday card. Race number eight, as Big A said, was a state-bred Philly. The key sense, 100K, six furlongs on the dirt. What was your view through the lens in this race? I did not love any of the Phillies that had dirt experience in here. Um, I, I, you know, quickly from the top down, they had to drop all the, all over the map in to break her maiden, uh, for the maiden 50 Playtone got to the lead last time. I thought it was going to be tough for her to shake away in here. And even though she had, uh, dueled on the front end last time, I, I thought it was going to be tough for her to shake away in here. And from the rail, I thought she was going to have to be forwardly placed time limit was, you know, kind of living off of that effort first time out and, Quite honestly, her best race by far for me was her turf effort behind uh, multiple winner alms and the grade three matron on the lawn at Belmont last time out. So she was the kind of horse, and again, uh, has a lot of speed. I think these fillies now, as they get a little bit uh, into the end of the two-year-old year, the ones that dominate on the front end, they find a little more contention on the front end. Once they get out of the maiden rank, they get in against the winners, and I think they find it a little tougher. You know, we'll skip my sassy Sarah because that's where I wound up going. Uh, Shadowamo was coming in from Finger Lakes. Again, she was on the lead. She did her best work on the front end. A single verse was a kind of filly where I thought maybe a wet track was going to help her a little better. Her best races came on wet tracks and on the turf. And Big Q, I I didn't love her effort last time in the Seeking the Ante. And he had a Rondack two two starts prior. She, uh, She ran well. She had a little bit of a tough trip that day. But then she came off that tough trip, and she did not run well in the Seeking the Ante. I know it was only 19 days later, but just it was to me it was not a good effort. And I went to my sassy Saturday. It looked like there was a lot of speed in the race. I know Michelle Nevin had run her exclusively on the turf, 
But she was another one. She had run well when she broke her maiden. They ran her back 16 days later. She wound up getting beat just three lengths in the great two, Ms. Grillo, behind Selflessly and Cristal, a couple of fillies who I think have a nice future. So I took a little bit of a shot with my sassy Sarah, just hoping the pace collapsed and she took to the dirt. For me, it was so it was it was a really awkward race for me because Playtone obviously it just won, but there's so much pace in this race, and even though she dueled and won off, it wasn't a fast pace, so I didn't really know what to do there. The sire's tonalist, this horse should be stretching out, so I didn't think that the distance was the best, even though she had just won here. Time limit, I like these horses that have had the prior experience at the class level, being you know a listed stake. Seeking the Annie race was very good. 11 to 1. She ran second by a neck. I don't understand the jump over to the matron. I just, it seemed like such a weird jump. You're going to switch surfaces and jump up to a graded stake. And then she ended up running just fantastic. Another 11 to 1 spot. This horse seemed to me like an overachiever. And I ended up going with time limit back on the surface switch for. Michael Maker. What did you end up doing betting-wise in here, Big A? I narrowed it down. I really didn't like the speeds in here. Um, I didn't like Playtone. I didn't like my set. Uh, I didn't like Playtone. I didn't like the time limits race on the turf leads me to believe she's going to have more of a future on the lawn. So okay. I, I tossed them, uh, and I just went 4-6. I used my Sassy Sarah, and I used single verse. I, I put single verse second, and even though I thought that her races were better on wet tracks and on the turf. I thought that maybe if the pace collapsed, uh, she'd be the first one to come calling on the leaders. Cause she had, you know, she'd laid pretty close in some of her races earlier on, but again, she's another one, you know, out of that shared, out of the mayor shared dreams, you would think her future is going to be on the turf. and It's probably going to be a little bit uh, going a little bit longer, but I just hope the pace was going to come back. I used the four and the six, my sassy Sarah, my top pick and single verse. For me, I ended up using time limit just to, just a win bet. I know it with a short price, didn't really know what to do, but I just looking at this race, sometimes the jockeys, they, they're all thinking the same thing. Oh, there's so much speed. We'll all pull back. And I thought maybe Javier could have been clever here and gotten me the win. Let's see if Big A continued his winning streak, and let's see if I can get one home here on Redboard Rewind. And they're off. Time limit is going out for the lead. And at the rail, all over the map, now moves up to challenge. Shadow Lamo is a close-up third. On the outside is Big Q in fourth. Then it's Single Verse, who's racing in fifth. To her inside is Playtone, and it's a break of three lengths. Back to my sassy Sarah, who trails the field in seventh. Time limit with a head in front of Big Q after a quarter and 22 and four-fifth seconds. Single verse is on the move, now up into third. Playtone advances into fourth as all over the mat. Map drops back to last, being passed there by Shadow Lamo and my sassy Sarah. It's time limit on the inside and Big Q on the outside, and the two of them are heads apart for the lead as they come for the quarter pole. Time limit on the inside. Big Q is right there. The half went in 46 and four-fifths seconds. Playtone is in third as they move down for the eighth pole, and Big Q has taken over. It's Big Q in front. Playtone now moves to second, then time limit in third. Big Q running a big race today to win the key cent stakes. Big Q by four and a half. Playtone was second, then time limit, and Shadow Lamo. Big Q gets it done with a surprising performance, pays 20-80 to win, and jumps the buyer from a 52 to an 85. I'm sure you're going to say the same thing, Big A. Really surprising performance. 
Yeah, it was. Um, and here is where you need to sometimes uh, the Beatles song, A Little Help From My Friends, comes into play. Andy Sterling really liked the source on Talking Horses on Saturday. And I had a pretty strong opinion about not liking the speed horses in here. I really didn't like Playtone. I didn't like Time Limit, especially at what was going to be a short price. Uh, I only went too deep. It would have made my ticket a third bigger. Uh, if I listen, I hit it because we won't cover the last two, but I had the last two. It paid $708 for 50 cents. I think it would have been a, a $36 ticket I would have needed instead of playing a $24 ticket. So I was stubborn about this. It was a big effort. And then again, you go and look back, and it's very important to look back at what you miss. She ran in the Adirondack. She didn't have a, a great trip from the inside draw. She only got beat six lengths to a filly in perfect alibi who came back to win the spin away and then run, I believe, second in the Dolly Alcibiades. Mm-hmm. They ran her back 19 days later in that Seeking the Ante. So this is a filly that had three starts from July 11th through August 23rd. Now, I know she's a January fall. That's still a lot of racing early on in the career. And Gary Gullo does a good job bringing these horses back after giving them a little time. You know, a lot of maturity goes on, the three-month break. So in hindsight, it's always 2020, right? But if I – and again, this is why you can't deal on absolutes. If my opinion in the race is I don't want the speed and I don't want the drop-down all over the map – I don't mm-hmm. want the Finger Lakes horse. She's the third horse in, and I missed her because if you if, if you know if you look more closely, she's a horse you absolutely could have used. Absolutely could have used. And the big thing for me would have been that 19 days to try her in the Adirondack. They think enough of her off the maiden win to try her in the Adirondack, and then you can't pass up 200,000 on one of the three New York bread days we have here the day before Travers Day up at Saratoga that showcase yeah. day. Mm-hmm. You can't pass that money up with New York breads. You got a kind of runner. 19 days, now she gets to freshening. You don't like the speed. She's going to be closing ground just like, a, you know, it's foolish of me to like a horse that's 7-2 first time dirt and not use this filly at 9-1. to one. For me, it was just, even when you look back at it, too, the workouts, 48-4, first work off the break, then the maintenance work of 103 comes back with a, with a, Minute with a ah, minute flat in three seconds. Then the thirty-seven maintenance work. The horse was working well on the regular works that they were trying to get the speed and the conditioning out of the horse. And then you know, obviously, late in the two-year-old season, these horses jump fifteen to thirty buyers at like you know eating cereal every day. It's just like it's incredible. This this filly, don't get yourself too caught up in that, too, Spencer. This filly ran lights out on Saturday. This was a big effort. And, again, you know, she ran well enough in our debut. It impresses me a lot when horses, when young horses, when two-year-olds, you know, and in order it would be young horses, then inexperienced horses. But when a young horse, a young inexperienced horse, passes horses the way she did in her debut, it always catches my eye a little bit. Um, and as far as the workouts go, you know, and you'll learn this, and again, if you're, if you're a part-time player, but Gary Gullo doesn't lay his horses on the fence. Gary Gullo, you're, never, you're very rarely going to see bullets coming out of Gary Gullo horses in the morning. Gary's more of a guy that, you know, there's a lot of, Gary's an excellent trainer, 
there's more work being done between these works than being done the day of the work. And, and while that goes for a lot of trainers, uh, you know, more trainers than not, he's one of those guys, especially where you'll, you very rarely will you see a Gary Goa horse work a bullet. Because for him, it's more about, and it's been this way for 35 years, what goes on between those seven days as opposed to what goes on the seventh day. And this one is ready. Where do you think a horse like this will end up next time? You think it's another New York stake? Do you think they try yeah, to put it? I mean, you just, they'll try and stretch her out. I believe the next one in the sequence would be the East View. And now with the inner track on, the East View stays around one turn at a flat mile. I think, you know, she showed the flat mile around the one turn will be right in her wheelhouse. Again, she's a New York bred. But, you know, you're talking about an 85 buyer speed figure now off a three-month layoff. If that number holds up and she keeps going forward, you know, the Busanda, the Busher, these are, these are races I think Gary's certainly going to have to consider with this filly. They already tried her against open company in just the second start of her career off of 23 days, right? They tried her in the Adirondack, and she doesn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't get in that trouble. She's probably a lot closer than the almost seven lengths she got beat. So this is a filly they've obviously had some expectations for. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we'll see her in the East View, and then I think Gary will see how races like the Busanda and the Busher throughout the winter here at the Big A uh, shape up. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, Big A, to come talk with us. Uh, great success for the rest of the Aqueduct meet. I will see you at Saratoga next year, hopefully sooner. Maybe the Belmont will buy a beer. We'll have a little talk. Appreciate your time, man. You got it, but any time. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornichel. Our creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.